Hey everybody, welcome to the X Report. I am Raven X, and alongside me today, we got Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, aka somebody who I know is paying real close attention to these waning days of the NBA season. How you doing today, Ethan? I'm good. How you doing? I'm tired. Um, but I'm going to enjoy my lazy day, especially because we got a lot to talk about on today's edition of the podcast. Of course, we're going to do a brief recap of the NFL draft, talk some of our favorite and least favorite picks, grade our own team's draft. Of course, we're going to catch up with the latest Aaron Rodgers news, see what's going on on that front, and then we're going to change gears, talk NBA, talk about if LeBron is a hypocrite after his recent comments he made about the NBA play play-in tournament and we're gonna do close out the show with a couple of mini debates about if John Morant really is a top five point guard in the league today but before we get to any of that please be sure to check out the xreport.net I repeat the xreport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow xreport writers previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our youtube channel entitled the xreport now like I said on the show we're going to do a brief um recap of the NFL draft but for a full recap um for every team's selection their trades and analysis on those picks please be sure to check out the export.net um that is where I have my complete recap so be sure to check that out to hear more about my thoughts on each team's draft but let's go ahead and get things started on a positive note so Ethan I'm not sure how much of the draft you were able to watch live but who would you say are probably your top five favorite picks that were made last week top five favorite picks are I will say number one is Michael Parsons to the Cowboys simply because I've been a big Michael Parsons guy since since he played Memphis last year in the Cotton Bowl, and he destroyed our offense literally by himself. He had like 14 tackles. Yeah, well, he was insane. Uh, uh, number two, I would probably say Jamar Chase to the Cincinnati Bengals, teaming up with your boy Joe Burrow, even though I personally think I would have won O-line in this situation, but you know, you can never go wrong with establishing getting a number one, maybe a number one or a number two receiver, depending on how T Higgins turns out this season. Uh number three, I like Kyle. I like um I like Mac Jones to be uh Patriots. Patriots. I think that's a very Patriots move. He's a guy that they can grow and um build up in his system. He doesn't necessarily have to start right away. He he fits the Patriots mode where I think he he isn't the best talent in the draft, but if you put him in the correct system you can exploit the talent that he has and he could be a very productive player. Um, I honestly would say I like Trey Lance going to the 49ers simply because I think that he could be put in the same mold of what happened with Patrick Mahomes, whereas he could be a developmental guy. He might see it for a year or two and understand the real, true meaning of being a quarterback in the NFL and how to read defenses and things of that nature. And if you compare that with his physical talents that he's shown on the field, even though it was at a lower level of college football, you might have a diamond in the rough. And number five, I like Najee Harris going to the Steelers. I think we've talked about this before. I said I was a fan of their peak. Even before I knew it actually was going to happen, I called it peak. So those are probably my top five. I can dig it. All right, for me, I'm going to go um, in reverse order. Number five. Uh, defensive end Gregory Rousseau to the Bills. This was a pick that I like 
for both teams, one, uh, Gregory Russo, I mean, his last full season of college football, he had 15 and a half sacks. And though he's still a pretty raw prospect, I mean, the talent is still there. Of course, you would like to see him play in 2020, but I mean, like many other top talented players, he decided to opt out, which is something that was respectable. And the Bills, they need another pet pass rusher Mario Addison and Jerry Hughes are getting up there in age so it's really good that they can get a younger developmental guy to build around uh number four Amari Rodgers to the Packers I know there's so much hoopla and shenanigans really going on in Green Bay especially with regards to Aaron Rodgers' future but I really like them getting Amari Rodgers because I think that he can kind of come in and fit a similar mold in that offense the way that a Randall Cobb did and we know how successful Cobb was in Green Bay regardless of whoever the quarterback in 2020 for the Packers is going to be. I do think that Amari Rodgers can be a, a great player and eventually a steal of the draft. Number three, Jamar Chase to the Bengals. I mean, for the same reasons you said. I mean, even though I would have preferred them getting the offensive lineman. They did hit a lot on offensive linemen throughout the draft. So I think that they feel comfortable at that position. And so that allowed them to get some more flexibility and get a player like Jamar Chase, who honestly, I feel like his addition and then combining him with the rest of the receivers on that team, I think that the Bengals now have the best receiving group in the AFC North. And number two, Caleb Farley to the Tennessee Titans. I mean, we all know that the Titans needed a corner, especially considering how many corners they've lost this um, this offseason. In my opinion, had Caleb Farley been healthy, I think he would have been the top cornerback off of the board. So the fact that he was there at 22, I think, will be a steal. And if he's healthy, I think that he can come in and play a really big role for the Titans. And then number one, Terrace Marshall to the Panthers. Um, I was really shocked and upset that he had lasted so late into the second round, but I think that he landed in a perfect situation. He gets to get back with Joe Brady, who um, was the offensive coordinator at LSU during the insane 2019 season where he had 10 touchdowns, despite the fact that he was still the third receiving option. So I think that putting him there and then also the Panthers already have a nice array of weapons, of course, with C-Mac and DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson, put him on that offense and that offense is looking really good, especially if Sam Donald can do his job. So those are my top five favorite. All right, now top five least favorite picks. Ethan, who you got? Top five least favorite picks. Uh, let me see. And if you don't have five, you can do three. It's all good. I got a couple. Okay. I'm going to go with. Uh, I I don't like the Detroit Lions drafting Panay I I understand the reasoning behind it. You want to protect. You want to build. You want to get a photo, a fixture on your offensive line for the future. But I think that in that draft, you could have potentially, especially with the type of tennis you have, you could have potentially went in a number of places. I think I might would have went defense. Like, I might have went um, for Michael Parsons or one of the corners that was taken. But, uh, yeah, that's one. I don't like the Jacksonville Jaguars drafting, drafting Travis Etienne. To me, it doesn't make sense because they already have two really – they have two really good solid running backs as is and James Robinson and um I forget the Carlos Hyde. Yeah, but and I know that he they're both they could be a good they could be a good running back duo together. So why are you adding I understand the only reason you probably could add it is to make Trevor Lawrence comfortable. But if you have two guys that are very capable, why add a third? All it's gonna do is just create 
uh, situation where it's like you're going to have too many bodies and not enough footballs to go around. Um, I kind of don't like the um, Arizona Cardinals drafting of um, Xavier. Mm-hmm. Simply because, in my opinion, he's kind of similar to Isaiah Wilson. Like, he's a jack-of-all-trades type of player, and you don't really have what position is he going to play in the NFL. The same situation was that with Isaiah Wilson. Is Isaiah Simmons, I'm sorry, this past season. Like, he was great in college. He played multiple positions in college. But what's going to be his – what was his position in the NFL? Uh, what else did I, didn't I, I didn't like? Hmm. Honestly, I think that is it that I can mm-hmm. think of. All right, for me, starting with uh, number five, I'm going to go the Ravens getting Brandon Stevens um, in the third round. Reason being, Brandon Stevens, I understand you like the versatility, how he played, went from running back to corner, and he can play corner at the next level, potentially move to safety. But I just feel like Stevens was not a player that was that highly coveted to where even if you do move him to safety, I feel like he would have been available at a later round. I think that they could have made that decision to bring in another player because truthfully I like our Darius uh, Washington who we signed as a undrafted free agent and the safety from TCU I like him more than what I think Stevens can give us I mean it's a great moment if you listen to the draft call but overall it's just like it, it I didn't love it just because I felt like we could have went in a different direction or we could have got a more proven and better player who could create have more impact uh, number four wide receiver Tutu Atwell to the Rams I understand you lose Josh Reynolds and you want to add some speed to your group. But, I mean, if I look at the Rams roster, wide receiver is not the first spot that I'm like, oh, they definitely need to improve. I think that there are other and better players on the board at the time, especially considering how much they needed to get a a linebacker, which they ended up getting in um, Ernest Jones from uh, South Carolina, but still, it just, Tutu was a weird pick for me, especially because he wasn't the best wide receiver on the board, and like I said, just wasn't the biggest need for the Rams at the time. Number three, Alex Leatherwood to the Raiders. I like that they went offensive line, especially because they lost three starters this past offseason, but I mean, Alex Leatherwood right now, in terms of where I thought he would be mocked, I didn't think he would go that high in the first round, nonetheless within the top 20. I like that it fits the need, but I think that a Tevin Jenkins would be a better overall pick. Um, There was still Christian Derisaw who was available. So it was just a matter of didn't like him compared to the other uh, offensive linemen on the board. Number two, Eric Stokes to the Packers. While I think that the Packers did need to go cornerback, I just have a hard time with everything that was going on with the Packers and with Aaron Rodgers, you would think that the Packers front office would be trying to do something to make him happy or to instill more faith in him. And I feel like Eric Stokes doesn't do that. And the number one wide receiver, Anthony Swartz to the Browns. One, you're picking a wide receiver in the third round who realistically is might be fifth at best fourth on the depth chart. I mean, he's not going to start over Odell or Jarvis or Rashad Higgins and probably won't even start over uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones. So this pick was really confusing to me. While I think that the Browns made solid moves with their first two picks, especially um, getting JOK in the second round, the Anthony Swartz one did not make a lot of sense. I think that they should have added a defensive end at that time. And it just just blows me to spend a pick that high on a wide receiver who's not going to be that high in your depth chart. But... 
All right, so let's go ahead and talk quarterbacks because so many quarterbacks were taken within the first three rounds. I want to say it was eight, which is an NFL draft record. It means that some veteran quarterbacks' jobs may be in jeopardy. So we're going to look at a few quarterbacks um, who have whose teams also drafted quarterbacks and want to say when we think they are going to lose their starting job. So we're going to start off with the New England Patriots and Cam Newton. How long do you think it'll be before Mac Jones is the new starting quarterback in Foxborough? I think this should go one of two routes. I think that if he's based on talent-wise, I can see it being maybe middle, middle to second half of the season. Simply because I don't think like Cam Newton, he's a he's a good player, but I don't think he's near nearly the type of talent that he was in his younger days. But as far as health, I think that he could be soon because we know that Cam Newton has had a lot of. Especially these past couple of seasons, he's had a lot of like nick and tuck injuries. This happened simply because of like his playing style and the way that he's played throughout the course of his career. For me, um, I understand what you're saying about in terms of talent and stuff. I just look at it like the way that Mac Jones plays his game is similar to what the Patriots have had for the last 20 years. Um, this past year was a bit of an outlier where they tried to kind of make plays that kind of suited what Cam did best. But realistically, Mac Jones comes in and is pretty much a player similar to a Tom Brady. And so because of that, with him in the lineup, I don't see you him having to make too many changes to the um, playbook. So because of that, I honestly think he's going to start as soon as week one. Reason being, the preseason is going to return. And we've seen how the preseason can really shape depth charts. If Mac Jones can come in and really take command of this offense and look better than Cam, not just in the offseason, but in the preseason against NFL competition, I think that that's going to sway Bill Belichick. Everybody can say, oh, Cam is the starter, but realistically, nobody thinks that Cam is the starter long term. So I just don't think that Bill Belichick is really going to hold on to Cam that much longer, or at least as the starting quarterback. So I can see as soon as week one. Then Mac Jones starts. I also saw Andy Dalton, who signed a one-year deal with the Chicago Bears uh, this past offseason, and the Bears traded up to draft Justin Fields at 11 overall. How long before Andy Dalton is on the bench? I think Andy Dalton won't even be the starting quarterback for the Chicago Bears. I think that when you make when you make a move they made to trade up to draft a quarterback who, in a lot of people's mind, was the second best quarterback in that year's draft, things forced them to drop lower in the um, in the order than a lot of people assume. I think that Justin Fields gonna be uh, gonna be the starting quarterback for the Chicago Bears coming this coming season. This may sound a bit shocking, but I actually am buying Matt Nagy and uh, Ryan Pace's sentiment that they don't plan on immediately starting Justin Fields. And honestly, I think that's for the best. I don't think that Justin Fields, really, I don't think any of the quarterbacks right now, maybe besides the Trevor Lawrence, should start week one and just be given the reins. I think Mac Jones possibly could because of the situation, but I do think that Justin Fields would be best suited to at least take some time to wait. So ideally, I would not be surprised if I saw the uh, Andy Dalton be the starting quarterback for at least – the first 10 to 12 weeks of the season, but realistically, I could see him starting all season and then having Justin Fields take a bit of a redshirt year unless it's like week 17 and the Bears are in a game that doesn't really matter. But right, next up, let's talk Kirk Cousins, who the Vikings drafted quarterback Kellen Mond in the second round. How much longer before Kirk Cousins coughs up the job? 
I think Kirk Cousins is gonna be the starting quarterback regardless because yes, he has his flaws and yes, he hasn't performed in big games, but. I think Kellen Mond is a talented guy, but he's definitely a guy that you're going to have to take some time to develop. So I think that at least for this for this season, outside of injury, um, Kirk Cousins is going to be the starting quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I mean, especially because with all the craziness that's going on with the Packers, honestly, the Vikings are the next team up. They're the next team that looks like they can take the NFC North. And so I wouldn't want to try to change all that and put all that pressure on a rookie who still needs that time to grow. So yeah, I'm in agreement with you. Kirk Cousins, I want to say next year is the last year of his deal. And so then I think that's when they'll start getting a bit more creative in terms of the starting quarterback. But for right now, I think it's Kirk Cousins' job. All right, finally, Jimmy G, who we made it to after the draft, and he is still on the roster. But as we all know, the 49ers took Trey Lance at the third overall pick. How long before he's coughing up his job? Uh, I have him potentially losing his job. Honestly, no, I don't have him losing his job. I think the only way that he would not be the starting quarterback is if he gets injured. Because I think that the reality of it is, is when Jimmy G is on the field, the San Francisco 49ers, they actually do win games. And with that being said, if he's healthy, I will keep him as long as possible because we know that Trey Lance is a – he's going to be a project quarterback. Like, he was playing in lower-level college football. He wasn't playing against the best athletes. And to just say, okay, you go from playing against non-best athletes in college to playing against the best of the best in the NFL – it's going to take time. It's going to be a change. It's going to take a transition period. And why not do it when you have a guy like Jimmy G in tow, who also is being honest. If you want to be real about it, he also has a high price tag. So you might want to have him start as many games as possible to potentially look good in trade scenarios for when you do decide to um, bring up trade hands to the starting quarterback. That is a really good point. I didn't even think about it from a contract contractual standpoint. Um, but still, I, I have a hard time believing a team is going to trade up to the third overall pick, take a quarterback, and not expect him to start fairly soon. And I think that, honestly, as soon as week four, we could see Trey Lance in the starting lineup. One, because I feel like that's what the 49ers are trying to groom him for. And also, let's be honest, Jimmy G has an extensive injury history. And I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, knock on wood, I'm not wishing it on him, but I wouldn't be surprised if an injury were to occur. And so because of that, I could see Trey Lance starting pretty soon, um, possibly even the first quarter of the season. But all right, so enough about the veteran quarterbacks who could be losing their jobs to rookies. Let's talk about a quarterback who could be losing his job simply because he does not want it anymore, Aaron Rodgers. And, of course, with all the news that has been taking place and going on around him, everybody seems to have an opinion, one of which being a Super Bowl, multi-time Super Bowl champion and Hall of Famer quarterback, Terry Bradshaw, who said this about Mr. Rogers. With him being that upset shows me how weak he is. He did talk about how good of a quarterback that Aaron Rodgers is, but expressed his sentiments of thinking that he was weak. 
the three-time MVP in the league, and he's worried about this guy they drafted last year. And then if they fire the general manager, he'll come back. Are you kidding me? Really? Aaron, that's what the, where this is. So before we continue, do you think that Aaron Rodgers is weak for being this upset with the Packers? I say no. I say no because the thing is he's not upset just because they drafted Jordan Love. He's upset because they're over the course of these past years. He's asked for the organization to help him out by getting him better weapons on the outside. And honestly, not even the outside, just better weapons, period. Like, he has, in my opinion, one of the top five best receivers in the game, Devontae Adams. But outside of that, he really doesn't have a true number two wide receiver. Like, the, the number two wide receivers that he has, he makes them look good. We know that he has the history of making players look better than they are. You look at Randall Cobb when he left Green Bay. He wasn't the same player. Greg Jennings. Yeah, Greg Jennings, Jordy Nelson. Like, he has a history of making a lot of these guys that you think are amazing look better than what they are. So why not? That's where it's – I feel like that's where it stems from. And it's not weak. That's him trying to get the team to get better so they can win. Like, this man has led y'all to – I don't know how many NFC championship games, and it's like he gets there, and then he faces a team that just has superior talent. And, like, when you play a team like the 49ers that has a great defense, all you have to do is zone in on Devontae Adams, and this they can do that. They have that type of talent on the defensive side of the football. So I understand why he's upset. Yeah, like – Pretty much everything that you just said, I mean, after a while, you can only take so much. Like like we talked about, he just had an MVP year, but his team literally fell apart in the playoffs. He had a fine game, but his offensive line was not blocking. His receivers, not named Devontae Adams, have been inconsistent for the better part of like three, four years. And so his frustration is noted. And like I told you, when we talk about this off the show, it's just like, like much like NBA players with the NFL too, they – Past generations got used to it being one way where no matter what, you stuck with that one team, you didn't leave, you were quote-unquote loyal to a fault, and now players are like, we don't have to be like that. We don't want to be like that. If we're miserable, we don't want to stay in a situation where we don't want to be. And so I don't think that he's weak at all. If anything, he has earned the right, especially with the talent that he has shown, he has earned every right to take time off. He's deserved every right to want to be in a better situation because the Packers right now do not seem like a team that are aimed for growth. All right, so next talking point. Potentially, if the Packers do refuse to trade Aaron Rodgers, Ian Rappaport reported that retiring is a serious consideration for Aaron or at the very least sitting out this season. Could you see that actually happening for Aaron Rodgers? I think Aaron Rodgers is the type of guy that if he says this, he definitely means it. I know that it's a lot of guys that threaten things in the past, Antonio Brown being wonderful. But I think that Aaron Rodgers, his personality type is, if he he's fed up and he's going to do whatever he can to get away from the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, and exactly like you said like he's the type of guy who if he says he's going to do something he's going to do it I mean whether that be good or bad like Aaron Rodgers is going to be Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Rodgers is an alpha male and considering he's an alpha male he's not going to cause all this hoopla and then think he's just going to go back on it and then just act like none of this ever happened he said what he said and I could see him really falling on it 
as a football fan, of course, I don't want to see Aaron Rodgers retire just because he's a hell of a player. He's a great quarterback and one of the best quarterbacks of this generation. So I don't want to see him retire, especially because I know that he can still play at a high level. But in terms of his pride, I can see him sitting out the year. All right, final talking piece. Last year um, during the NFL draft, the Packers actually tried to trade up for Justin Jefferson, uh, GM Brian Gutenkunst. Uh, also wanted to get Niners wide receiver Brandon Ayuk, but in, unfortunately for them, Jefferson went 22 to the Vikings. Ayuk went 25th to the 49ers. So kind of ignoring Brandon Ayuk. But do you feel like if the uh, um, Packers were able to get Justin Jefferson, would we be in this situation with um, Aaron Rodgers being so unhappy? I don't think. Yeah, I definitely don't think. Would be. I think he might still, to some extent, be unhappy because it took them that long to finally do something that he asked them to do. But it's like, if you were to pair Justin Jefferson up with Devontae Adams, that probably could be the two best receivers that um, Aaron Rodgers has had in his career paired together, outside of maybe Greg Jennings and Donald Driver during their heyday. But it's like you would legit give Aaron Rodgers a two-headed monster receiver because if you double-team Devontae Adams, we saw Justin Jefferson was beating number one corners on a weekly basis on a team. Like, yes, he shared the field with Adam Thielen, but it would be a similar situation where you would be sharing the field with Devontae Adams. And who are you going to put the attention on? Are you going to put it on Devontae Adams or are you going to put it on Justin Jefferson? Regardless of what you do, one of them is going to win matchups because that's just how talented they are. So I definitely think it would be a situation where he wouldn't be as upset as he's shown throughout the course of this season. This offseason, I'm sorry. Yeah, I would agree with that too because, I mean, Adam Thielen is a great quarter, I mean, great wide receiver, but, I mean, we've seen Devontae Adams spring himself from being top 15, borderline top 20 talent to a top five wide receiver easily. Hell, this past season, one could argue that he was in the top three. And so just imagine what he could do and Justin Jefferson could do paired up on the same offense. I think that that would have been really lethal. And, I mean, I think that the woes that they had last game um, in the NFC Championship, I don't think they'd have those same problems just because, let's be honest, the Bucks corners are fine, but I don't think they'd be able to stop both Devontae and Justin Jefferson. So I do think that that could have potentially led to a different outcome. So I don't think we would be having these same problems. But all right, so next up on the docket last week, there was so much other stuff going on. But Tim Tebow did work out for the Jacksonville Jaguars at tight end, a position change that was, was he was asked to do years ago. But now it looks like he's actually gung-ho to do it. While it may seem a bit crazy to us football fans now, Ermin Meyer seems to like the thought of bringing him onto the team. Uh, Jags executive uh, Tony Khan said this uh, Bleacher Report, Ermin Meyer really believes Tim Tebow can help the Jags as a tight end. So let's say this signing does take place. What would you expect out of Tim Tebow? I expect him to be a – he definitely won't be a starter for sure. But I expect him to be a guy that can potentially come in. I think he will be a better blocker than he will be receiver. And you will see him in running situations, blocking, being an extra blocker on a line. Um, he might catch a couple passes here and there, but I don't see him being like converted and becoming like the next Travis Kelsey or George Kittle. I think he'll have a role 
and he'll they'll maximize his skill set in their role, and that's about it. Yeah, honestly, I don't think he'd come out and have put up crazy numbers. One thing I do think that he would bring is just being a great character guy. I mean, Urban and Tim Tebow had a very close relationship at Florida where, let's be honest, there was a whole so many hooligans and criminals and it was so much craziness on that roster, and then Tim Tebow was like that shining light. Tim Tebow was a guy you never had to worry about. He was always a good guy. We all know him as a Christian. We know him from Tebowing. You know, like, we know he's a great character guy. And for a team as young as the Jacksonville Jaguars, it could, would make a lot of sense to have a guy like that in the locker room. Realistically, if he was on the team, I would doubt if he had more than 10 catches. But I could see him staying on the roster just because of what he could bring in terms of being a great leader and just being a great person to have as a mentor and a sideline coach in that locker room. But all right, let's talk about another player who was a great character guy, Julian Edelman, who recently announced his retirement from the NFL. But, of course, former quarterback Tom Brady poked fun at it, and during the draft, the Don said, we know Julian didn't retire. Let's be honest. He's just too scared to tell Bill he wants to come to Tampa. I've been there. So, do, could you see potentially Julian Edelman – Leaving retirement to join the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, or do you think he is retired for sure? I can see him doing it if Tom if Tom called him and said, um, "Come play for us." But the actuality of it is, is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers they don't need Julian Edelman. They have they have Mike Evans, they have Chris Godwin, they have Antonio Brown, and they have Scotty Miller. Scotty Miller, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. They have guys in the position that Julian Edelman plays. Julian Edelman plays, and they're productive. Like Scotty Miller, I thought he was going to be a replica of Julian Edelman, but he actually has speed. He's a guy that can make plays down the field and bring you down the field. And if you want, you can use him still as a security blanket. Because I mean, throughout the course of the season, he kind of was that guy. Like he was one of the guys in current situation that Tom Brady wants you to make critical catches. So they don't necessarily need him, but I feel like if Tom were to say, like, hey, we need, like, say one of them got hurt and they needed depth at receiver, and if Tom gave him the call, I could see him coming out of retirement to come play for Tampa. Yeah, I could also. I think it's a bit of a long stretch just because I feel like Julian Edelman is also one of those guys who when he says he's done or he's doing something, he's going to do it or he's not going to do it. And I could see that being the case with him. Like I said, I just think it would be a lot to really happen in order for him to actually make that move to Tampa, even though I think it'd be a lot of fun to watch. But like you said, he does, where would you use him? You know, I mean, I, even I was surprised this year when they drafted uh, Jalen Darden, just because of the depth they already had at wide receiver, but who knows? I mean, I think it'd be something interesting to watch, but I wouldn't do it. But all right, let's go ahead and get to some mini debates uh, before we talk NBA. Keeping in um, the Tom Brady discussion, uh, he was recently being interviewed by Shannon Sharp, who asked him, would you be willing to trade two Super Bowl rings to win the 19-0 Super Bowl? In response, Tom Brady said, I would. Let's be real. For those of you who don't remember, circle back to the 2006-2007 season. The New England Patriots had a perfect regular season. Looked like they were going to be the first team since the 1972 Dolphins to have the perfect record but then the New York Giants came and said, uh-uh, David Tyree with the helmet catch, 
and the rest is history. So, Ethan, let's say you're Tom Brady and you could go back in the future. Would you rather still have six rings and be considered the GOAT or have those four rings? No, technically you have five rings because you won that perfect season. Which one would you rather have? I would rather have the five rings because the reality of the situation is, is at that time he could have won that Super Bowl and he probably still would have won one, if not two more after that with the New England Patriots. Like, we don't know. That's a big what if. But even still, if he were to not win any more Super Bowls, a lot of people still would consider him a GOAT because he would have five Super Bowl wins Super Bowl rings, and he will also have the one thing that nobody in the history of the NFL has done, which is have a completely perfect season throughout the regular season and the playoffs. Yeah, and then let's be honest, if he would have had that, let's let's be honest here, the conversation about him being the greatest quarterback, that w- it would have even more merit. Because like you said, that would be something that no other quarterback could say that they have. And that's a hell of an accomplishment because for much of that game, it looked like they were going to win. And so just because he has six rings, that is awesome. That is great. I'm sorry, seven rings. That's great. But still, that that's great ammunition. And that sounds good. But to say you had a, a perfect season and got the ring, I think that sounds better too. All right, next question. Jawan James, offensive tackle for the Denver Broncos, may be out for the rest of this upcoming season after tearing his Achilles, to which the NFL sent out a memo saying that they were teams were not required to pay players who were got hurt for after working out on their own or away from practice facil- or team facilities. Uh, many NFL players, such as Patrick Mahomes, uh, Tyreek Hill, Le'Veon Bell, Chris Conley, have spoken out about this, essentially saying that's not right. But do you think the NFL is wrong for implementing this rule? Now, mind you, Jawan James was slated to make $20 million this year, which he could potentially lose out on with this injury. So do you think the NFL is wrong for this rule? Yeah, it is. Because the thing is, this man is working out to stay in shape for the upcoming season. And just because he got injured outside of the training facility, that means you're not going to let him get paid for basically doing what was a part in total, like what's a part of his job, which is working out and staying in shape. So I definitely think the NFL is wrong for this. I, I don't love it. I think that – I think it's wrong if the player is legitimately working out. Like, if the player is legitimately working out, then, yeah, that's wrong. But we've heard many instances of other players getting hurt doing other off-season things. Like, I think it was some player, I don't remember who it was, I think he got hurt bowling or just doing stuff like that. Like, if you're hurt doing that, then I don't think that a team should be obligated to have to pay you. But if you're actually working out, then it's like, no, you're trying to get better because Juwan James actually sat out this past year because of uh, COVID. And so in those instances, I don't think it's right if a team does not play a player. I mean, pay a player. But if you get hurt in the offseason doing something like going skydiving or jet skiing, something like that, yeah. Then other than that, but real, but if you're working on, you're actually trying to be better. Then I think that you should get paid. All right. So final debate before we move on to the NBA, I'm gonna talk some Deshaun Watson, where the Texans did spend their first pick of the draft on quarterback Davis Mills. 
out of Stanford. Now, this is reported by Adam Schefter uh, during the draft. There are people in league circles who believe Deshaun Watson will not play this season. There are people who believe his career in Houston is over. Do you think that we will see Deshaun Watson play in 2021? Um, given the nature of his legal troubles and just everything that happened before his legal his legal issues popped up, I don't think he'll be playing again this season. Because we know that one thing that the NFL does not and I think we both will appreciate this. The one thing that we know the NFL takes a firm stance on is the way that they're represent they're representing and the way that their players treat women. And to an extent, I will say, I'm not going to completely say that, but I know ever since the Ray Rice situation, they've been very adamant about making sure that when things, when their players are known of mistreating women, they punish their players. And so I think because of that, we won't see Deshaun Watson on the field for this season. I don't think we'll see him on the field either, but I think it's for a different reason. While the the current his current legal status is up in the air. I mean, there are still plenty of teams that if they said, "Hey, you want Deshaun Watson?" they would do it. And if gotcha. if everything comes out that you know he's cleared of everything, then hell yeah, Deshaun Watson is an is still a top five quarterback. He's an upgrade over what most teams already have. Hell, include including Baltimore. If you told me I could get Deshaun Watson minus all legal trouble over Lamar Jackson as a long term option, I'm taking that every day of the week. So when you look at it like that, it's not that teams aren't pursuing him. But I do think that with all the drama right now, and I don't think that the Texans are really thinking about trading him, even though um, reports came out that before all the legal stuff happened, that they were going to pretty much hold an auction and just trade him to the highest bidder. But in a much more realistic sense, I mean, I don't think he does play – I, I do differ with you about the treatment of women, women because the Chad Wheeler situation. He's just yeah, that's why I say it depends. I had to think about it after I made the statement. Yeah, him, um, the kicker for the Giants who beat his wife for years. I don't think – I know he was suspended, but I don't think it was, like, banned from league or anything like that. So, and, and then case in freaking point, I know you said since Ray Rice, but I mean Big Ben. And then there was, like, clear evidence of that. So it's like, it's been hit or miss with regards to women. But I do hear what you're saying. And I do think he sits out this year, which I think is unfortunate because Deshaun Watson is a talent. But that's also me saying that, um, not knowing the true extent. If he's guilty of the things he's accused of, then screw him. Don't have to see him ever play again. But if he is innocent, I can't wait until he makes it back to the court. I mean, the uh, field. But all right, let's talk NBA. Ethan, what are your top three takeaways from this past week of action? Top three takeaways are number three. This is going to be probably one of the most interesting NBA playoffs that we we have seen to date. Number two, um, the Lakers are in trouble. And number number one, James Harden is the MVP of the Brooklyn Knicks. Okay. Interesting. All right, let's talk our Mamba players of the week. Out of the East, I'm going to say Giannis Antetokounmpo. Reason being, had a tough slate of games this past week, back-to-back games against the Brooklyn Nets, and he performed 49-8 and on the second, 
36 and 12 on the fifth. Both of those games were wins. And I think that that has to be shown. I mean, we talk about how super powered or how much of a super team the Nets are. And while Drew Holiday is a solid player, as is Chris Middleton, Giannis is the undisputed guy on that team. And he carried them to arguably the best team in the East. So I'm going to give it to Giannis for balling out. Uh, I got to give it to Russell Westbrook simply because of this chair that he's been on. He's been, he's just been, he's been Westbrook of old, just dominating games in every fest. Yeah. It's good seeing Brody finally get some positive attention, even though y'all still got my man messed up. All right, Western player of the week. I'm going to go Nikola Jokic. I mean, even though no matter one's opinion about the MVP race, Jokic has really been producing, especially without Jamal Murray. I mean, Jamal Murray was a player who got a lot of pop in the bubble, and then when he went down, a lot of people questioned how the Nuggets will hold up. But it is clear Nikola Jokic is showing that they are holding up just fine. So I got to go Jokic out of the West. I have to go with a familiar face by the name of one Stephen Curry. Um... This man is still basically single-handedly carrying the Golden State Warriors to a potential play-in situation by basically scoring at will, almost. I feel that. All right, next up, our Mamba Rookie of the Week, a familiar name. LaMelo is back in the fold. He's been back for about a week now and has been balling. Already has two 20-plus point games. Really seen, of course, he's had his couple moments where you see he's kind of knocked that rust off, but he's been looking really well and still has the Hornets in a position to be competing for a play-in spot. So I'm going LaMelo. I have to go with another familiar name, but I'm going Anthony Edwards. He tied his career high against Migers with 42 points. And, like, throughout the course of the season, you can just see, and he also did it very efficiently, I might add. He was 8 for 9 for 3. He was 17 for 22 from the field. And as the season's progressed, he's progressively gotten better. So I got to go and. I dig it. Now, before we look at the current playoff picture, we just want, we the export, just want to extend our congratulations to Carmelo Anthony, who this past week uh, moved into the top 10 spot on the NBA's all time scoring list. He uh, moved over Elvin Haynes and is now right behind Moses Malone. So, congrats to Melo, especially with the journey he was on over the last couple years when it looked like his career was over. It looked like teams have given up on him, and now he has a very important role for the Trailblazers and is in top 10 all time scores. So, congratulations to Melo. Anything you'd like to say before we look at this playoff picture about Melo? Oh, uh, yeah. Like, like you just said, congratulations. Uh, he was a guy that a lot of people thought was washed, didn't have anything in the tank anymore, and he's proving people wrong. And being honest, just Melo, in my personal opinion, Melo's one of the top ten greatest scorers, not because of his list, but as far as, like, repertoire and arsenal and skill set, he's one of the top, honestly, I'd say top five greatest scorers in the history of the NBA. I hear you on that. All right, let's look at this playoff picture. So the East, uh, the first three seeds are necessarily locked in, or at least the teams are. We got the 76ers, Bucks, and then Nets. Uh, at four, the Knicks have clinched the playoff spot. There's the Atlanta Hawks, Miami Heat, 
uh, Boston Celtics, Charlotte Hornets, Indiana Pacers, and Washington Wizards. Um, during a pregame press conference, uh, Jimmy Butler was asked by a, by a reporter um, about the upcoming slate of games and if he was worried about the strength of their schedule. And in typical Jimmy Butler response, he said, maybe if you're a sorry-ass team, <laughs> it would be tough. Should the Heat be wor worried about their upcoming schedule? As we know, the season is nearing an end, and to close things out, they will be facing the Celtics tomorrow. They got Celtics Tuesday, Philly, Bucks, and Pistons. So I know we all appreciate the confidence of Jimmy Butler, but should the Heat be worried? I don't think they should be because, for one, these Boston Celtics, they aren't the team that they have been in the past couple seasons. They've been very, they've been very shaky. Um... They had so they could potentially win one, if not both, of those games against the Celtics. And who's to say that when they play Philly, that Philly might rest Joel and B or Ben Simmons or both, because they already have their seeds locked up. And the same thing with the Bucks. Who's to say that they won't rest Giannis or you know Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday? They have their seeds locked up, and the Pistons are the Pistons. Right. Like Miami is a superior, uh, superiorly more talented and well coached team compared to the Pistons. So if I were him, I would be I would be worried if everybody was playing. But I also know that Miami is the type of team that even if they were playing all of those teams at full strength, they could still potentially beat them. Yeah, because we've seen it before. We've seen them upset teams, win games, or at least be in games that they had no business being in. All right, now let's look at the West. Uh, the first four teams are pretty much locked up. The Utah Jazz, the Phoenix Suns, Los Angeles Clippers, Denver Nuggets, and then the fifth seed, Dallas Mavericks, six, Portland Trailblazers, seven, Los Angeles Lakers, eight, Golden State Warriors, nine, Memphis Grizzlies, and ten, San Antonio Spurs. Now, a year ago when LeBron was asked about the play-in tournament, he said, you got Portland, Memphis, NOLA, and Sacramento tinkering around there. If there's five or ten games left, why not battle it out? Make them play each other all five games. And now, with the Lakers being in the potential play-in spot, he said, whoever came up with this shit needs to be fired. Is LeBron a hypocrite? Oh, yeah. Most definitely LeBron's getting him prepared for this because when he was the number one seed, he was perfectly fine with it. And now that he's basically a game away from either being the sixth or seventh seed in the playoffs, he has an issue with it. Like, this very, I'm a LeBron fan. You, everyone knows this. You know this. That's very hypocritical. And I think if we, I think if I were LeBron, I would just face my music because for one, a big reason. It's not like they were losing games and he was on the court. Right. Legit. Him and Anthony Davis, the two best players on the team, were both injured. Right. And that's why they lost games. So if I were him, I would be more concerned with just getting healthy and making sure that I'd be ready for the play-in tournament. Because if they make it into the play-in tournament and him or Anthony Davis isn't playing, then the Lakers are definitely going to get put out of the playoffs. Yeah. Because with the with the rosters that they have, without minus LeBron and AD, they aren't competitive. With, they aren't able to compete with any of the guys. Honestly, they might be. They might be able to beat my Grizzlies. They might be able to potentially beat the Warriors. But outside of that, like I don't see them being like you know 
any of the other teams. And honestly, I don't see them beating those two teams that I listed. Right. So I would be more concerned with getting healthy versus talking about whoever made this idea of me to be fired. Yeah, and the thing is, like, I'm not a LeBron fan. I am a Lakers fan. And one of my biggest things about LeBron, especially earlier, I was like, I felt like he was soft. I felt like he, not say, I'm not going to say as much as I'm used to call him, but I think he's a little bit soft. And I think that the, the hypocrisy is a bit soft. I mean, you're a competitor. You should want this opportunity. I mean, like you said, both you and AD are hurt. You know your team. You know the limitations of your team. And so, if not anything, wouldn't you want to be – I'm not going to say nobody wants to be in a play-in, but wouldn't you want to be an opportunity to show why you're dominant, to show why it is a mistake for any team or for you to be in this spot? And so even though, of course, not being in the play-in is way less stressful, but, I mean, I actually want to see the Lakers in the play-in. I want to see LeBron and I want to see AD lead their team out of the play-in. One, because if the Lakers do win the championship this year, they won't have to go through, oh, it was easy. Well, no, they had to fight to even get into the playoffs to begin with and then go into the playoffs as it normally does, not to mention if they make the finals to beat one of the stout teams in the East. So, personally, I want to see the Lakers compete in the play-in. I want to see, see them have to work for it. And I don't, I don't like that LeBron is the hypocrisy of LeBron just because it's like, it's easy to say something when you're not in the situation, but now when you got to deal with it, you don't like it. Like, no. And, I mean, there's only so much you control, can control. He didn't play last night against the Trailblazers, but it was a big game. They needed to win that game to avoid this situation, and now they're in it. And so I think that – well, honestly, I think it will be good for Lakers to be in the playing. I think it will be good for them to have to play with kind of that fire under their behinds that they have to win They and they have to get it done. So honestly, I wanna, I'm mad at it. I'm sorry, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I want to add something to it, too, from the LeBron standpoint of, like, being completely honest, like you stated, if they were to, like, let's say that the Lakers were to be in the playing tournament and to win the finals, that adds to your legacy. Right. Like, because the reality of it is, is you will be the first person to do that. It's something that Jordan has never done. It's something that Kobe has never done. None of the all-time great players, the people that they, the people that are argued to be put in front of you, that's something that they've never done. And you can do that, and they can add to your resume. They can add to your legacy. They can add to the status of you being the greatest of all time. Right. So why not complain about it? Why not embrace it and go full, go full, full throttle towards achieving that goal? Yeah, exactly. So I don't think it does him any good to complain about it, but we'll see. Now, continuing on about LeBron, though, um, following his injury, he did a recent interview and said, I don't think I will ever get back to 100% in my career. I mean, believe it or not, LeBron is getting a bit up there in age. He's going to be, what, 37 this year? I mean, he's not a spring chicken, and though he's been one of the most complete and most balanced players in NBA history – should fans be worried that LeBron's time is coming to an end? Or, I mean, time as a dominant player? Uh, yeah, I think that, you know, it's the same. Father time is undefeated. And I think that given, like, this is the first, it's only been two times that you've seen LeBron's significantly injured. It was LeBron's first season with the Lakers, and it's this season. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think he... 
father time is slowly starting to catch up with him. Like you can do, you can do all the workouts, you can do all the preparation, you put all the money into your body. But the reality is, age catches up to people. You can be in the best shape of your life, but it's not you aren't twenty five anymore. You're thirty six. Right. You're closer to forty. So I think this he his body is slowly telling him like he's not going to be that player that he once was anymore. Yeah, and then I mean something else to recognize is he handles a heavy course load. That man does a lot. It's not like he's coming off of the bench at 36. He's a starter. He's going to play north of 35 minutes a game. And so he's take his body is taking a big toll. And so, like you said, you can spend millions or how much money he spends on his body, but it's going to be a lot, especially when you have to carry the load for a team like he does. So I think that we are starting. Max Kellerman called it the decline of LeBron, and I could see that as well. Not as him, you know, I think he's still going to be productive, but I think that this may be the last year he's this just complete dominant figure or where he's a he's arguably the best player in the league. But all right, let's look at some coaching spots because this week a lot of news about coaches has come into play with a few names being on the hot seat, one of which being Terry Stotts of the Portland Trailblazers, uh, Luke Walton of the Sacramento Kings, Scott Brooks out in D- with the Washington Wizards, uh, Mike Budenholzer, who his name seems to be especially hot if the Bucks don't make a deep playoff run, and then Nate Bajorgan for the Indiana Pacers, who was just hired this past year. On your, in your opinion, which seat do you think is the hottest? I think it's the being honest. If they don't make a deep run, it has to be the Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah, because. Mike Budenholzer, he's been the head coach there for quite some time, and he's had, in a lot of people's opinion, the best player in the NBA in Giannis. And now he has, in my personal opinion, he has a lot of good competent pieces around him. Because you have Chris Middleton, who he's a good player. You have Drew Holiday, he's a great piece. Uh, yes, I know a lot of people think that that roster isn't a – a championship-worthy roster, but in the actuality, it is. Because you don't have to have three superstars to win the championship. Like, we know that the Nets have it, but it's like, you know, you can construct the team a certain way and you can still win. But I got to go with Mike Budenholzer. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you as well. I mean, Mike Budenholzer, he has coached a few teams that were of note but just didn't get anywhere. He was the head coach of the Atlanta Hawks back in 2015, that team that was number one in the East that outplayed everyone's expectations when they had Joe Johnson and Jeff Teague and Al Horford. Like, they were a squad, but I know they didn't make that far of a run in the playoffs. I don't remember exactly when they got bounced, but it was definitely surprising. Yeah, it was ugly. And I think that has kind of been the story of Mike Budenholzer's career. So when he was hired by the Bucks, I was a bit surprised just because, I mean, he does not have a lot of playoff success. And while you can make an argument that their roster, like you said, isn't necessarily in the best position to make that deep of a run, you have a Giannis. You have players who do have that playoff experience who should be able to take it to the next level. I mean – in terms of coaching, no one has ever been able to save their job by saying, oh, well, look at what this team has or that team has. 
Front offices don't care about other teams. They care about you and what you're doing with the pieces that you have. And so far, they really have not been able to do much. So I'm in agreement with you. I would say that Mike Budenholzer's spot also is the hottest. And I think that since they do have Giannis locked up, they don't have to worry about him going anywhere anytime soon. I think that that could be a really hot job if he does end up getting fired. But all right, let's talk about the Cleveland Cavaliers, a team that we – Nobody has really talked about since LeBron left. Well, let's talk Colin Sexton. Um, a recent article done by the Athletics, Joe Varden, talked about Cavs players' feelings on Colin Sexton, where the article said, various Cavs players still grow frustrated by the way Sexton dominates the ball, and opponents taunt by saying, you know he's not going to pass you the ball. In response, Sexton said, they can say, I can't be a point guard now. These next stretch of games, I'll show them what I can do, both run a team and score. Take the criticism, run with it, and have them look crazy. Do you think that these mm, internal issues within the Cavs are going to lead to some changes on the roster, or do you think they're just going to work it out? I think it might lead to some changes. I know one of the notable changes I think will happen is Maybe Kevin Love will find be moved during this offseason. We know that he's been extremely frustrated for a while. Honestly, he's been frustrated since LeBron has left Cleveland. Um, and I think that maybe you could potentially add, put him on a team, send him to a roster that has, you know, adequate uh, adequate chance of winning a championship, like a contending team. Maybe, you know, it might be some reconstruction that goes on in Portland and they send him back home to Oregon. Who knows? But I don't think that their whole roster is going to be the same that it's been in the past. I don't think so either. And not for kind of for the same things. Kevin Love is definitely a player who could be moved. But, I mean, let's be honest. The Cavs aren't a team that are going to be contending anytime soon. And right now, Colin Sexton is looking like their best player. So I'll be shocked that they actually moved him as opposed to other pieces. But, yeah, like you said, I mean, I could see Kevin Love being on the way out. But other than that, I don't – I could see the Cavs making some moves, but nothing that makes – that is especially noteworthy or like, oh, the Cavs are going to be a threat and they're going to make the playoffs. I don't see that happening. But I'm happy you did say something about Kevin Love and the Portland Trailblazers. Um, like you said, he has been quite frustrated as of late. And the word on the street is he wants to be bought out and would like to sign with the Trailblazers. Do you feel – are you in agreement with Kevin Love that if he were to go to the Trailblazers, he could help push them to get a championship? I don't. And the reason being is because the problem with the Portland Trailblazers has been their defense. They can score. They have a lot of great offensive pieces, but can they, they can't stop anybody. Like, their games are literally track meets where it's like, who scores the most points? And if you add Kevin Love, that's going to continue that trend. Like, Kevin Love, he can be – like, he's not the Kevin Love of old where he's going to average – where he can put up 30 points a game, thirty have a potential 30 and 30. I can see him being a guy that can have a good impact as a straight speed that can rebound. But that's it. And, like, what else do you – what else is he going to provide to a team? He's not going to get stops, obviously. And he's just going to continue that trend. Like, it would be a good story because he's from the area, but I don't think he would legit bring them to a chance of winning a title. 
I think you made a good point about what the uh, Trailblazers are lacking defensively, but also depth. They are a team that, while they do have talent, they oftentimes have injuries, especially with their bigs. Nikola uh, Vucic, I mean, not Nikola Vucic, um, oh my God. Yusuf Nurtured, thank you. And um, Zach Collins, two players who, when they're on the court, they are productive, but neither of them have played much much these last couple of years. They both battled a lot of injuries, which is why Melo had to play some of the four. Even though, let's be honest, who would have thought Melo would be playing a four 10 years ago? But I think having a Kevin Love would be able to provide some nice depth, but I'm in agreement with you. I don't see him being a piece that makes them a championship contender, especially because joining the team, he's not better than their starters. He's not better than what they already have. Anything, he'd be a nice depth piece, but I don't think that he automatically pushes them into contention. But a team that wants to be pushed into contention, the New York Knicks, who have been in talks about potentially trying to trade for Damian Lillard this offseason. What um, reports have said that the Knicks likely will be willing to get trade three or four first-rounders in a deal for Damian Lillard if that meant that they could hold on to R.J. Barrett and Obi Topin. Could you see the Trailblazers really trading Dame? Um, yeah, if they, if they all, if they're willing to offer three or four first, I can see them doing it because we know, like, the thing is, is if you trade Dame, you will still have C.J. McCollum, and C.J. McCollum has shown that he can be the guy when Dame is hurt, and they still, if they do that, then they can slide, bring in Anthony Simon, the young guy that they've been trying to groom for the past couple of years, and he showed signs of being a productive player in the NBA. So you can potentially just go from Dame and CJ to CJ and Anthony, and you still will have that, that backcourt duo that can score a lot of points. And then you can potentially put Dame in a scenario where it's like, if he goes to New York, he would be he would still be the he would still be the guy. He would still be Dame time. I think playing with a coach like Tom Thibodeau, it would be great because Dame's a tough hard a tough guy and we all know the teams loves tough hard nosed players and you know it's not like this is the New York Knicks of old where Dan will go there and it's not pieces around him. It will be pieces. It will be Julius Randle. It will be RJ Barrett. Um Reggie Bullock, he's a great three and D guy. You could bring D Rose off the bench and he could be he's the sixth man. He's averaging seventeen points a game. Like it will be an exciting team to include in it would be an exciting team with the addition of Damian Lillard. I can agree with you on that. I mean, I think it was last week when we talked about untouchable players, and I could see Dame being in that realm, especially if they were to fire Terry Stotts in lieu of trying to get someone else who they felt like could really push them to a championship. So if that were the case, I don't see him being traded. But I feel like if they get to the point where it's like they feel like they need, they'd rather just go ahead and kind of start over and trying to restart their team. I could see Dame being traded. And I mean, because of the compensation that they could potentially get from the Knicks, I could see it being a move that'll make a lot of sense. And I think that it could be a move that makes the Knicks a whole hell of a lot better than if they were to try to trade for Lonzo. All right, keeping in the conversation of point guards, Scott Brooks spoke highly of his um, in Russell Westbrook, where he said after a game, I used to always say he's going to probably go down as the third best point guard of all time, but I think he's past one. He's going to go down as the second best, and number one is obviously Magic. 
I love, oh, also he said, there's nobody in the history of the game that can do what he does throughout the stat sheet. Now, while I love Russell Westbrook, he is my favorite player in the league today, my third all-time favorite player. I don't think he goes down as the second best point guard of all time. But when it's all said and done, where do you think he ranks? I think he can rank potentially in the top ten of all time. It's a lot of it's a lot of great point guards in the history of the NBA. You have Magic, you have John Stockton, you have Isaiah Thomas. Steph, have, Steph's got to be up there as well. Yeah, you have Steph. Like it's a lot of guys that you can put above Russell Westbrook. Like I can see him being somewhere between the seven to ten range, yeah. but I don't see him being number one. Yeah, because, I mean, in terms of point guards in the league right now, I would put Chris Paul over Russ. I'll put Steph over Russ. And so those are two guys. So that, of course, takes him out of the two conversation. But, yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I can see the 7 and 10 range sounds pretty good. But I do understand Brooks's argument about just everything he does in terms of a stat sheet and just how he impacts a game. I don't think that since a player, honestly, like Oscar Robertson – there hasn't been a point guard who has done the things that he can do. And one can argue that maybe he does it better than Oscar does. So I can see him definitely being in the top 10 conversation, but two is two is pretty rich. All right, let's talk your boy, John Morant, who in a recent interview was asked to rank himself among point guards in the league today, and he said he is top five for sure. Do you agree or disagree? First off, I want to say shout out to Big 12, you know, young guys and point guard in the NBA. But I definitely disagree with John Morant. I love John Morant. Um, and my fandom of him is growing every with every passing game. But I do not say – I don't see him being one of the top five best point guards in the NBA because you have you have a Stephen Curry, you have a Damian Lillard, you have a Chris Paul, you have a – honestly, you still have a Russell Westbrook. Kyrie is another guy I put up there. Yeah, you have a Kyrie. Like, it's a slew of guys before Ja that I would put. Like, I could say, I would say Ja's probably top 15. Somewhere, maybe near the top 10. Yeah, really? I would put him in the top 10 at least. Because, I mean, the guys you named, and then who else? I wouldn't. Ben Simmons is. I don't don't, necessarily count him as a point guard, so I wouldn't say him. I would take Ja over Jamal Murray. Yeah, I definitely would. Um, I'm trying to think of other point guards who. And the thing is, is like it's difficult because it's like it's a lot of these guys that are being called point guards now that I don't name as point guards. Like I don't see, I know LeBron, quote unquote, plays a point guard, but he's not I a point. Le- I don't deem LeBron a point guard. I don't deem Luca a point guard. Yeah. I deem like I could say. Like, the only player, only other, like, notable players that I really can say I would think of is better than Ja. I would say De'Aaron Fox is better than Ja because De'Aaron Fox, he isn't, they're both, they both can have some inconsistency issues. But De'Aaron Fox in head-to-head matchups, he tends to give Ja a lot of problems. Yeah. Um, Maybe you can make an argument for Trey Young depending on, you know, What's your viewpoints on Trey Young? I personally am not a fan of Trey Young, so I have a job ahead of him. Um, One thing I will say is 
I saw a post on Facebook where they said that it was like a bunch of point guards that was listed better than Ja and LaMelo Ball was on that list. And that was whoever trash. Made, whoever made that post, whoever made that graphic and made that post, you you drunk. Ja Moran is way is better than LaMelo Ball. People, I understand people are prisoners of the moment, but LaMelo Ball doesn't get the focus, the focus of defenses like Ja Moran does. Yeah. So, yeah. I got it, but I definitely would say I'm leaning more to his top 10 than I am top 15, but I would say he's somewhere in that range. In terms of pure point guards, like strictly point guards, he's definitely in my top 10. But, I mean, if you want to factor in cats like a LeBron or a Luka, cats like that, he'd still be like maybe 10 at the worst. But overall, just pure points, he he's definitely in my top 10. But top five, I love the confidence, but – Nah, I I don't see five. Hell of a player though. One in terms of top five most exciting players to watch, he's in that without a doubt. Ja oh, sure. yeah. is fun as hell to watch. But right, let's talk about another player who was fun to watch. Shaq, your all-time favorite player, and who played for my all-time favorite team, the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, Jeannie Bus team owner recently did a uh, interview where she listed the top five. Most important Lakers, where she said Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, Magic Johnson, and Phil Jackson. Um, In response to this list, Shaq said, I'm not mad about that. If I was 29, I would say, hold on, LeBron's only been there 720 days. How are you going to put him before me? Do you think that Shaq should be on the list of the top five most important Lakers? Oh, yes. I would put him above LeBron. I would take LeBron James off. Like, the thing is, the only reason that LeBron could potentially, I feel like the only reason LeBron is on that list is just because of his status in the NBA and what he did when he finally became a Laker. He was now, he came in as being the best player in the NBA, probably the greatest free agent signing in the history of the NBA for a particular franchise. But Shaq won three championships with this team. And LeBron, yes, LeBron won one, but Shaq was, when he was on the Lakers, he was the best player in the NBA, in my personal opinion. Other people might argue differently, but he was the guy. Like, he was the most, he, he won finals MVP, he won regular season MVP, he won a scoring title, he won, like, he, he had so many accolades on that team. So I got to I would take LeBron off and definitely insert Shaq. I have agreed with you to everything up until this point. While in terms of the best Lakers, uh, Shaq is Shaq is on there without a doubt. He's one of the greatest Lakers of all time. But in terms of importance, I can understand why Genie put LeBron over Shaq because I look at it like after. Even, I can't even say after Kobe. Kobe's last couple of years up until when LeBron signed, the Lakers were not the Lakers. They were a team that weren't making the playoffs. They weren't winning games. They had drafted young talent, but they weren't developing in. Like, this was not the Lakers that everyone had grown to know of the success of the 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s. This was not that same team. And so what LeBron did was he made, in essence, he made the Lakers relevant again. He made them a team that mattered, not just because of the name, but because they were playing winning basketball. 
And I think that the way Jeannie looks at it is having LeBron come in, can't come in, took the Lakers out of that purgatory of just being, quote-unquote, another basketball team because that's something that the Lakers have never been. And so in terms of importance, I can understand why she would have him on the list because Shaq was amazing when he was with the Lakers. Hell of a player. And you have a very strong argument for him being the best player in the league when he was with the Lakers. But I do think that I'm not Jeannie Buss, but the way I can kind of rationalize it is before Shaq was there for a number of years, but they didn't they hadn't won anything. It wasn't until Kobe had really gotten his footing to where that's when everything started to piece together. And then once Shaq left, they were still winning because Kobe had taken over the reins. And so I just look at it from the standpoint of Shaq was amazing. Shaq was a tremendous Laker, but they found a way to win post-Shaq, whereas with LeBron, they had been in such a state of nothingness that he had elevated them back to where that they needed to be. So in that retrospect, I get it in terms of importance to the organization. But in terms of who was who mattered more, who was better in the jersey, it's Shaq without a doubt. But I think that in terms of importance, I think that Jeannie was looking at it from helping the team be relevant. So is he top six? Absolutely. But I can understand why he wasn't in the top five. I can understand this is the one Laker and LeBron list that I can see him being the top five for. But all right, let's close out NBA um, before we make our game picks. One more question. Kendrick Perkins uh, this past week said, on get up yeah on get up on ESPN said it's way harder to win a championship in the NBA than it is in the NFL. Do you agree or disagree? Uh I actually agree with him. This is one of the few things that Kendrick Perkins has said that I agree with. And the reason I agree with it is because in the NFL it is one game. It's single elimination. You could be you can be the underdog and you have a good chance of winning because it's any given Sunday. In the NBA, it's a series. It's a seven-game series. It's, it's more hinged upon, like, preparations and adjustments. And it's not like you play on these teams one time and it, it hinges the whole series. Like, you play them to the best of seven. So you have a chance. You have, in theory, you have a greater chance of upsetting the team not upsetting the team because you can if you if you're far less talented than the team then ultimately everyone knows that talent ultimately wins games so if you play more games it gives more chances for that talent to uh, to come into effect but see that's that's why I would argue that the NFL it's harder to win a ring there because you only have that one game you, we've seen it many times before. Case in point, a couple years ago, Baltimore, 14-2. and two, Everybody thought they were going to beat the brakes off of the Titans, and it didn't happen. They lost that game. It was one game. And so with the NBA, yeah, you make the argument of each team can get better as the series goes on, but you still have a chance. You lose that first game, it's like, all right, well, we just got to come back stronger the next one. Football, you get that one game. It doesn't matter how you lost you lost the game. 
And so it's much less margin for error. And then also, I would just say, in terms of getting to the Super Bowl, I feel like it's NBA, it's longer seasons, of course, which is unfortunate, but players get more opportunities to rest than NFL players. I mean, if you're a team starting quarterback, you're not taking a rest. You have to be on every single week. And you're getting your ass kicked in the process. So overall, I think that it's harder to win a ring in the NFL than the NBA. But both are hard. And I can't do either unless I'm on Madden or 2K. But I I think I'd have to go NFL. All right, let's make nightly game predictions for tonight, Saturday, May 8th. 2021, uh, the Detroit Pistons taking on the Philadelphia 76ers. I got 76ers. I got you. All right, Washington Wizards taking on the Indiana Pacers. And I believe if the Wizards win this game, they're going to take their spot. Um, I got Wizards. I got Wizards. Memphis Grizzlies taking on Toronto Raptors. I got Grizzlies. I got Grizzlies. Oklahoma City Thunder versus the Golden State Warriors. I got Warriors. I got Warriors. Houston Rockets versus the Utah Jazz. I got Jazz. I got Jazz. Brooklyn Nets versus the Denver Nuggets. I almost went on upset alert here, but I think I'm going to go Nets. I'm going to go Nuggets. I'm going to go upset alert for you. All right. Appreciate it. All right. Last game, San Antonio Spurs versus the Portland Trail Blazers. This is where I'm going upset alert. I got Spurs. I I got Portland. It's been looking bad for the Spurs. All right. All right. That is our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please be sure to check out the export.net. I repeat the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast on our YouTube channel entitled The Export. Um, before we close this bad boy out, football fans, be sure to check out my NFL draft recap. Like I said, I look at every team's draft, give analysis, give grades. So check that bad boy out. Ethan, you got anything you want to say before we close this out? Uh, go Grizz and, you know, tighten up. And I hope Kevin Falls is healthy because I, I do agree with you. I think that he is a good pick as long as he's healthy. Most def. That's I. That's how I feel about Odafe Owe, which much respect to him for no longer going by Jason. I respect that, even though I didn't necessarily love the pick at the time, but I guess I'm okay with it. And Rashad Bateman, man, just catch, just catch the ball. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you all next time.